If you grew up watching your mother or grandmother making chocolate chip cookies, and if you grew up just knowing the resulting cookies were the best in the world, then at some point you knew you wanted to make cookies just like that. And so you asked mom or grandma to teach you. Show me how you do it, you might say. And eventually, of course, you wanted the recipe. Well, if the disciples knew one thing about Jesus, it was that he was very good at praying. So they decided they wanted to learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And when Jesus taught them how to pray, you have to imagine they leaned in. Today on Groundwork and from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we ponder how Jesus taught us to pray. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now the fourth of a six-part series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. We've already covered the Beatitudes, words and our being salt and light, words about how Jesus regarded and taught God's law. And so now today we're going to move into Matthew 6, which is the middle chapter of Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus launches into a discussion of prayer. And then it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I think it's really interesting, Scott, that Jesus assumes they will pray. Right. He doesn't say when you get around to it or maybe well, or right. he, he's already assuming that because of their their walk with God and their Christian practices, their believing practices, that they will be praying. So he is actually teaching them and tweaking how they should do it and in the right spirit. And so Jesus does want to talk about prayer uh, and positively and in the right spirit. But before he gets to that, interestingly, he, he begins on a, a negative note or, or a counter note to say, don't do it this way. Here's what not to do, right? Don't do it this way. Probably some of the people who came to mind for the disciples when Jesus said this were people the disciples would have regarded as pillars of the community. You know, I mean, think of Brother Ezra. Oh, every time you go to the synagogue, every time you go to worship on the Sabbath, Brother Ezra, oh, great God of the universe, lookest thou down upon us gathered here. We are the people of thy pasture. Thou knowest, oh, great God, the praises that well up in our bosoms even now. And so everybody's like, wow, Brother Ezra, you can pray. That's just great. And yet Jesus is saying here, meh, maybe not. Yeah, knee, do- knee bowed and body bent before your throne of grace. We yeah. come before you, Heavenly <laughs> Father, of Abraham, God, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, very pious displays. And Jesus is saying that prayer is much more than just a pious display so that people can say, oh, wow, you're really good at that. Um, because some people will compare themselves and disqualify themselves. I can't pray like that. I might as well not pray. Um, so they feel they could be disqualified or they could aspire to some other human vision of what that is. And that's not the reason why we pray. Now, Jesus says, what, what do I think of those kind of prayers? Showboats. Uh, worse, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And that's, <laughs> that's a pretty serious prayer. They're just doing it to get attention, Jesus said. They're just doing it so that you'll be impressed by their fine, lofty words. And if attention is all they want, that's what they're going to get. And that's the reward. But Jesus says, it is not true prayer. 
And Jesus says in the passage that you're supposed to go in your room and close your door and pray in secret and that your heavenly father who sees what's happening in secret will reward you. So it's a secret place that prayer is supposed to come from, but it doesn't mean that he's condemning all public prayers either. Right. Let's make that clear. Almost all of us who go to church on a weekly basis hear a public prayer by an elder, a layperson, a deacon, the pastor mostly, right? And Jesus isn't condemning all such public prayer, and he isn't even condemning people who use good language in prayer. Because, Daryl, when you and I are pastors, when we lead worship, when we do the congregational prayer, let's say, we are leading people in prayer. So even if we pay attention to our words, and I used to write out my prayers ahead of time, I wanted to give a little bit of thought, but not to draw attention to me. I want to invite others to join me. And so when we lead people in true prayer to God, even if it's a public prayer, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about people who just want to have people think all about how good you were when you were done praying. No, bring people into prayer, Jesus says, and that's fine. Prayer should not alienate, it should unify. Exactly. And so what we've done in the past, you've done this at, at congregations you have led, is that you've done a responsive reading as a prayer so mm-hmm. that people will be able to say in unison what it is that we're praying for. And that is a unifying thing. It's also a conversation with God. And so it's very important that we keep that in mind as well. Exactly. Prayer has to be true prayer, and it shouldn't be an artifice. It shouldn't be an excuse for do something else. I remember years ago hearing about a pastor who um, tended to drop hints to his congregation of things he wanted. You know, oh, Lord, you know, my family could use a good vacation soon. You know, he's kind of hoping people will donate their cottage to him or something for a week. No, Jesus says no. Don't use prayers to make announcements. Don't use prayers to advance an agenda. It's a private conversation, as you said, Daryl, between you and God. And I think, Daryl, that's one of the most important things Jesus makes clear uh, in everything we're going to look at in this program, it's the relationship. When you're in a relationship with your Father in heaven, you talk. It's natural. And you talk and you also listen. So Mm -hmm. spending time, everyone knows this. The only way you're going to have a relationship with someone is if you spend time with them and that you talk and you listen. If it's just one way, then it's never going to be right. And so, you know, you use the example of your spouse and your spouse wants to hear, I love you from you, even though, yeah, well, you know that. But it's still something that we'd like to hear as spouses. And, and, and our God, he wants to hear that worship. He wants to hear the acknowledgement. He wants to hear that in our prayers to him, even though he already knows it. It's very important for the relationship. Exactly. God needs to hear from us. But then Jesus says, you know, say what you need, ask for what you need, and then be done with it. Don't think you have to pile up oodles and oodles of words or put on some big show or harangue God or lobby God. Uh, God hears you the first time. So say it and be done with it uh, and give God the glory because that that's what it's about. Uh, it's about a relationship. And in right. all relationships, we have trust. Relationship and trust, love and conversation. I think that's really what Jesus is saying is foundational to prayer. It's about expressing love to the God who already loves us. And we wouldn't pray if we didn't have faith on the line when we're trying to trust the God who is able to do anything. And we pray to someone greater than us. And so we're praying to our Heavenly Father that he would intervene into whatever situation. That is a divine act of trust. That is an opening and a vulnerable space of relationship. And everyone is invited into that with our God. 
But we want to talk more about the most important prayer in the world that many have said and many have recited next. So stay tuned. Did you know that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible mentions bread more than 500 times? When Jesus calls himself the bread of life, he's referring to scriptural signs of God's care and presence among his people that he fulfills. As we consider bread in the Bible, may our appetite for life with God increase. Join today in September for a series of devotions titled, Give Us This Day. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, and we are uh, thinking about prayer, Daryl, in this fourth episode of our six-part series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew 6. Now, in Luke's gospel, what comes next is a direct answer to the disciples when they say, teach us to pray, Lord. In the Sermon on the Mount, though, it just comes up next, and of course, it goes like this. This is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This prayer is very powerful. I do believe that this prayer has a form and it has a function to teach us and train us on how to pray. And the first thing starts with acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. And that is the top priority before we ask for anything. That's very important. Yeah, we forget because of the familiarity of this prayer, many of us have recited it uh, many times. Uh, And indeed, that's one of the things you can do with the Lord's Prayer. You can recite it word for word. And in worship and at funerals and at weddings, we've all done that. We've said this prayer just the way I just read it. But this is also a blueprint for prayer. Uh, This is also sort of naming for us, kind of giving us a checklist of what should be in all of our prayers, whether we're repeating this one word for word or not. But we forget because it's so familiar that it was radical for Jesus to suggest we can call God our Father. Our Father. Wow, that's quite amazing. But really, when you think about this prayer, Daryl, it really covers the waterfront. I mean, we start at the pinnacle of all things, our Father in heaven. We end at sort of the bottom of all things, deliver us from the evil one. So we kind of move from heaven to hell, and everything in between gets included in this prayer too. You acknowledge who God is and what God has done. You acknowledge the enemy. You acknowledge the relationships you have with one another and your own basic needs. That is actually everything we need in prayer. And he walks us through just how to do that. But we need to start by acknowledging God and who he is and what he's done first. Right. And we talk about something Jesus talks about all the time, the kingdom. Your kingdom come and your will be done. But not in the abstract. Jesus says, not in some far off realm, not in some far future time, right? Sometimes we say, you know, oh, I'm going to hit this baseball from here to kingdom come. <laughs> so we like back like kingdom come is way down the future or way far away. No, Jesus says it's here now. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And of course, the kingdom of God is where the will of God calls the shots, right? So they're the same thing. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a given that it happens in heaven. But it has to happen on earth uh, right now today. And that sort of uh, tells us how we're supposed to live. You're not saying that we need to wait until the sweet by and by for this. You're saying that, no, here, 
now today. You know, the Bible says now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. And so we don't need to, I call it pole vault theology. When you leap (laughs) over today and try to get to the by and by later, when we have actual needs and actual challenges and actual need of God's intervention here today and acknowledging where God has us is part of the prayer. That's very important. Most of us have been taught to pray with our eyes shut. Jesus is, in a sense, saying, pray with your eyes wide open or your eyes wide shut. (laughs) Uh, But pray with your eyes wide open. Look around you. This is the context where the kingdom and the will of God has to happen. And while you're looking around you anyway, feet firmly planted on the earth, think about the practical considerations. Uh, What about breakfast? What about lunch? What about dinner? Give us this day our daily bread. And even if we are blessed enough, Daryl, to be in a situation where our daily bread, what we're going to have for lunch or breakfast is already in the fridge, we have to ask God to give it to us because that reminds us that's where it really comes from. My daily bread doesn't come from Costco. It doesn't come because I got money in the Wells Fargo bank account. It comes because God feeds me. So training ourselves to ask for our daily bread is an act of gratitude, but it's also a reality check. Hey, God is the giver of all good things. We actually have been training our kids with this one. When they see food on the table, the food does not give life. Mm. God gives life, but he gives us food to sustain that life. And so we acknowledge, and that's what we thank him for. And when we say grace, we acknowledge the fact that he is providing and that we continue to ask him for his provisions. He is our father and fathers provide. Therefore, we're able to ask him to provide for us in our very basic needs. It doesn't say ask for a Cadillac. It doesn't say ask for a brand new house or whatever. Those are wants, but what we need, our heavenly father is there for us and we get to ask him for that. That's our right as believers in in the family of God. So the context for the Lord's Prayer is today, life, daily food. And while we're at it today, well, God, I got to admit, I don't always do things right for you. I try, but I fail. Forgive me. Forgive me my debts, right? Forgive me the things that I owe you because I didn't do it right. But as we said in the first program of this series, when in the Beatitudes, when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If we know we've been forgiven, then we have to forgive others. Share the love. Share the joy. You're happy about being forgiven? Great. Now go forgive Susan. Go forgive George. Go forgive your wife, your husband, your kid. Forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Uh, if you have been forgiven, now go forgive others. You can't have what I call Jonah syndrome, where he experiences the grace of God under the shade of the tree, but he wants the Ninevites to be destroyed. You can't sit in the grace of God and ask for judgment for someone else when, you know, you have to actually freely receive it and freely give it. And that is part of the prayer. It's interesting that Jesus connected the forgiveness to the provisions and everything else. You cannot ignore that part of life because brokenness is actually a part of life as well. And we pray that uh, God, you know, deliver us from the things that tempt us and from the clutches of the evil one. Keep us on the path, oh God. I can't ask you to forgive me for my sins when I have every intention to go out right after I'm done praying this and do it again. So keep me, oh Lord at your side. So as we said, Daryl, we can pray the Lord's Prayer word for word, and it's a good exercise to do, and it's a good thing to have memorized, but it's also something we riff on, or it's a checklist. Hey, if I look at all the prayers I've prayed in the last week, Daryl, how often have I prayed for God's kingdom to come or his will to be done? How often have I 
prayed for the forgiveness of others who have hurt right. me? How often do I ask for daily bread? Am I including all the stuff Jesus is here? And if I'm not, my prayer life is out of balance. And the Lord's Prayer calls me back. That's true. It's actually a step of maturity to find out if you're including these things in your prayer because your prayers, as you grow in the faith, will become less about you and more about God. And as we see in this Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus giving us things to say about prayer and how it can challenge us. And in the next segment, as we wrap up, we want to look at that. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. So far in this program, uh, Daryl, and from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 6, uh, we've looked at Jesus' warnings about kind of false, hypocritical kinds of prayers, prayers that are just for public show, and we've looked at the Lord's Prayer, the the classic prayer Jesus taught us. Now we're going to jump into chapter 7, uh, the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, and hear some additional words that Jesus has to say. Now, starting in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So, we're familiar with these words, but we're not always sure how to understand them, how to parse them, because it ends up looking like a blank check. Like, every time you ask, you're going to get it. Knock on the door, it always opens. Seek, you'll always find. But as even uh, the great writer C.S. Lewis wrote after his wife died, when he was really feeling such great grief, he said he knocked on God's door in prayer a lot. But not only did the door not open, it sounded like he could hear the bolting and double bolting of the locks on the other side. So we all know that that if we take Jesus' words about ask, seek, and knock to be like a blank check, we're going to end up in a world of hurt. I think that because our motives are not always aligned with God, when we hear ask, seek, knock, sometimes we feel like we get superpowers. Like, oh, we're going to ask for anything. Like, we're going to rub the lamp. We're going to get whatever we wish for. <laughs> and that is not what Scripture teaches because God has a will. And if we are praying according to his will, the first John chapter five says is if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And when he hears us, we know we have, we ask. And it's because we have to align it, even ask him, is this according to your will for me to have? Is this according to your will for me to ask for? And that actually is something that can help align us. And if we don't do that, we could be in a world of disappointment. Or we could hurt others. 
Yeah, there are possibilities, you know, where we pray for the wrong thing. Or we've all prayed for things that later we were glad we didn't get. Oh, it's yes. like, oh, man, if God had given me that, oh, no, right? So that happens. But we want to be very careful that we don't say to somebody, well, I prayed that my spouse would recover from cancer, and she did. You prayed for your spouse, and he died. Eh, must have been something wrong with your prayer. Uh-huh. Right? You know, if you just had more faith, if you had really asked, knocked, sought, God would have uh, saved your spouse. We don't want to say that because we don't know that. We can't know that. So it's not a blank check such that if you don't get what you asked for, it's because you asked wrong or you're weak in your faith. Nope. Jesus didn't get what he asked for in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Apostle Paul didn't get the thorn in the flesh removed. We've all known saints and wonderful people who didn't always get what they prayed for. So then the question becomes, Gerald, if it's not a blank check, Jesus sure made it sound like a blank check. Why would he do that? Well, I believe that he does that because he's trying to encourage us to participate by asking, by seeking, by knocking. Mm. Hey, you got a measure of faith? Why don't you put it into practice by asking? Because he also says that if you actually hear my words and put them into practice, you're like a wise person who builds your house on the rock. So you have to not just hear it, but do something with it. So he's calling us to participate. He's calling us to use it. You know, there's a parable in Luke's gospel, the persistent widow, you know, where this woman kept bothering a judge until he finally gave in. But what's interesting is Jesus closed that little parable by saying, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Mm -hmm. Which seemed to be Jesus' way of saying, are people going to keep praying? Because that, I think, is the main message about, and the writer Frederick Buechner said this years ago, the bottom line of almost everything Jesus says about prayer in the New Testament is this, keep at it. Mm -hmm. Keep at it. Keep praying. So, yeah, Jesus is very strong here. Ask, seek, knock. But he's encouraging a robust faith. Keep praying. If you don't get what you prayed for, it's not because God didn't hear you. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God doesn't want to come through for you. The main thing is to keep the relationship going with your Father in heaven. Keep praying. So I love how you just put the ing's on the end of that, because in the Greek, it's a present continuous, which means you're supposed to keep asking. Mm. You're supposed to keep on seeking. You're supposed to keep on knocking. And if you do that, then you continue to keep the avenue of communication to God open. That's what it is. Keep the line open. Keep Stay on the line with God because God is going to keep his faithful part by allowing you to have a way to contact him and communicate with him. We're the ones that need to keep up our end of the bargain. And it isn't about striving and it isn't about our efforts. Like I said earlier, it's not about how pious you look. It's about our hearts. But the communication with God needs to stay open, not just when we need things. But when we want to talk to God, we want to listen to God. That's what prayer is for. And then Jesus includes a little, is it a parable, an analogy? Jesus says, look, if you're a father, if you're any kind of a good father anyway, and your your kid asks for bread, you don't toss him a stone. If he right. asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. Only an abusive, terrible parent. There might be parents who do that. <laughs> but no, that's not how a parent treats it. And that's who God is to you. You know, if you would never, if you could help it, do anything but give your child what he asks for, especially when it's as basic as something to eat. What do you think God's posture toward you is? It's even more loving, Jesus says. It's even more desirous to hear from you. So again, keep praying. Uh, Your father loves you. Your father hears you. Just keep on praying. 
And then there's this odd little addition of the golden rule there, do unto others as uh, you would have them do unto you. I'm not quite sure where that came from in this context. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with prayer, but maybe it does in this sense, Daryl. Again, all of what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 7 on prayer, that it's all about a relationship. And when you have a relationship with your Father in heaven, you communicate and you keep the lines of communication open. And not only do you keep it open with him, you keep it open with one another. Mm. Because the law and the prophets, the greatest commandments are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So both the law and the prophets hinge on that. Both the law and the prophets hinge on this because we are to have a relationship with God. And the fact that God loves us and he wants us to hear from him and then we share that with one another is one of the reasons why many Christians have said, let us pray. Thanks be to God. And thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us again next time as we continue studying the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus' teachings about treasure and worry. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. And when you're there, share what Groundwork means to you and make some suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.